Thank you, Bridget. What we see this morning as people make a, a, a commitment, either through baptism or through confirmation and becoming a member of Christ Church for the first time, or even as a point of transition and renewal where their membership has been held somewhere else or in a different tradition at a different part of their life, and they say, but this is the family to which I now currently belong. There's a story in every instance, a journey story in each person's lives. And later on in this service, we'll have occasion just to listen very, very briefly to two words of testimony from the folk who will be the focus of our prayers and our initiation in a few moments. Uh, my story, well, it's a very long one. Thank you to all those people who made scurrilous remarks on Facebook on the event of my 62nd birthday, mentioning no names, Francis Miles. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you all 62 years of it, but when I was 17, sat in a nightclub with a girlfriend I can remember very little about, and I'm sure she thinks the same. I now know what was an evangelist came to us about two o'clock in the morning with a clipboard. Remember, this is in the days where paper was paper, computers weren't invest, uh, invented. Uh, and he said, do you mind if I ask you some questions? No, of course we don't. So he said, do you believe in God? I think so. Do you believe in the devil? No, I don't, I don't think so. Do you go to church? What would I want to do that for? <laughs> uh, and he basically used these. I see this now, but when it was actually happening, uh, it was just seemed like a sort of odd conversation. But I see in retrospect that he was using that as the occasion to give a word of testimony to his own faith. And he told me that he uh, had become a Christian, that it was a vital change of life to him, and he wanted to challenge me and my then girlfriend to think that we might want to respond to Christ and make Christ our own. And we didn't, uh, but as I went home and dropped her off and eventually collapsed into bed at home in the very early hours, very late early hours of the morning, I did something very unusual and knelt by my bed. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think it must have been something like, Lord, I've heard a lot of very strange things about you tonight. But if you are real and what this bloke is saying, if there's anything to it, then will you make it real to me? Uh, and I got up in the morning and uh, went downstairs for breakfast and knew immediately that God hadn't answered that prayer because my brother was still alive. But, <laughs> Think, think about it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, everybody. He's still alive and well and on, in holiday in France as we speak. Uh, but as I, as I went through the morning and I told my mother, who had recently at that time become a Christian herself, she said to me, I think you need to go speak to my minister. Uh, so, uh, I think she rang him up, but I got on my Lambretta scooter. This is giving you the contextual era. Remember, Lambretta SX200 scooters, 14 mirrors up the side, put your parker on, put your helmet on, put your hood over your helmet, off. Down to the local Methodist ministers. 
which then was a Saturday afternoon. So God bless him, why on earth he received somebody who sort of just came in his front garden and walked up his, where he's there busy gardening and stopped on what probably was a precious day off for him. But uh, he ushered me into the study and I told him what had happened to me in the words that I could find. And he said this to me, young man, well I was then, young man, Jesus Christ is calling you to follow him. And you've got to now make the most important decision of your life. Are you going to say yes or are you going to say no? And I remember saying to him, I want to say yes, without really knowing much of what was entailed at all. And he led me in a short prayer. To make a decision to follow Jesus Christ is an awesome thing. You realize that you belong to Christ rather than simply you're your own and you can do what you like. In that sense, it's a little bit like when you get married that you say, I can't stand here in my life and live it out in the world as if there's just me and no one else. It happens similarly when you start to have children where you turn around and you start to say, my time is not the most important thing here. To make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior is basically to say there is something more important than me going on. You realize that you belong to him. You realize that he died for you. And before that point, you didn't know. Or if you did know, you didn't believe and you didn't think it mattered. But now you do. And you accept and receive the gifts that he died for you. But it suddenly hits you that in fact, he did die for you before you ever knew anything about it. And that whether you'd ever reach this point of faith in your life or not, it wouldn't alter the fact that Jesus Christ has died for you before you knew it. He didn't die on the cross for you because you now believe it. He died on the cross for you before you believed it. But now you do. I mention that because the language of conversion, which I understand and rejoice in, is very often things like, Jesus has died for me. Which by implication means that now I've received it, now I understand it, now I've, I've come to believe it, it's as if Jesus has done it just now. Whereas in fact Jesus did it once for all, for the whole world, nearly 2,000 years ago. And what we're really saying is, I've come to realize just now that he did it for me. And it's as if from that moment life begins and you've opened a present that's been waiting there to be opened for you since the day you were born. But at last now, you open it and receive it. Now you know him as Lord. He was always Lord before you called him Lord. But now you know he's Lord and you call him Lord. Who chooses who? Well, you choose each other. But he makes it possible for you to choose him. 
I remember when I was at Cliff, one person giving their testimony. And it's not the best theology in the world, but I know exactly what she meant. Why did you become a Christian? Because I wanted everyone, all my friends and my family, she said, to know whose side I'm on. And when you're bearing witness in real situations, perhaps in skeptical families or disbelieving siblings, to stand and say, I want everybody to know whose side I'm on, and I'm on Christ's side. And he is at my side. That's a declaration of faith. So if there's anyone here today who knows that God is talking to them and knows that you need to move closer to that point of saying yes to Jesus, or you've said it 33 times, but at the moment it's a distant memory and you're far away, then use the embodied testimony of God working in people's lives as they come forward to make vows which basically say, I want to be a member of Christ. Because that's the fundamental membership of Christian discipleship. So I went to see the minister and he said what he said. And then as he showed me to the door, he said this. So I want to see you at church tomorrow. uh, And on Wednesday, we have a Bible study group and it will be really good if you come to it. And I think I did. And I began to learn from that morning, although the true impact of it, of course, didn't happen that morning. I learned the truth about Christian discipleship, that when you become a member of Christ, it's automatic and axiomatic that you become a member of Christ's body, the church. Where I becomes we. St. Paul uses the word we in only one way in the whole of his epistles. He defines it to mean those who are in Christ, as he puts it repeatedly. This, for St. Paul, is the great dividing line. It's not the dividing line, or the dividing line is not, should I say, hymn books or PowerPoints, Charles Wesley hymns or renewal hymns, seats or pews, organs or synthesizers, choirs or worship bands, charismatics or Catholics, young or old, male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, healthy or ill, lucid or demented, black or white, gay or straight. They're not the dividing lines. Because the we is not a horizontal line cutting through swathes of society, dividing people by gender or race or age or wealth. It's a vertical line going back to Christ himself and gathering people so that they are in Christ. And we do well to remember when we receive people into the church, Christ's church, that the only use of we that really matters is that. And the we of the body of Christ is a wonderful, diverse, colorful body. And just so we begin to get a glimpse of majesty, and one day I will preach this three-point sermon, but not today. The we of the body of Christ that some people join for the first time today, 
stretches all around the world. It stretches all the way down the centuries, back to the very first disciples we read about. And in the economy of God, it stretches all the way up to heaven. Because even when we die, the promise is we join the ranks of those who are the we in heaven who sing the praises of God. In the end, there's only one church, and all disciples of Christ must join it. It's compulsory, not optional. C.S. Lewis, that great writer, once turned up to a, a meeting in which there were people from several denominations in the room. And recognizing this famous man, somebody came across and said, Dr. Lewis, how lovely to see you. Which church do you belong to? And with his typical wit, he just turned around and said, same one as you. Many people today have a very poor perception of the church. Rarely has its public stock been so low. It's been a divisive resignation this week by the leader of the Liberal Democrats, with people on all sorts of media pointing out whether he's right or whether he's opted out or whatever. Is it possible to be a devout Christian in the world of politics? No say some, yes say another. But it's undoubtedly true that the public place of people of Christian faith is in a different position now than it was, say, at the end of the Second World War. There are many reasons for people having a very poor perception of the church, and they're not all without force, and they're not all without accuracy, sadly. But this morning, I remind you that God's not given up on the church of Christ. In Ephesians, we read, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And it's because of that that any of us can be here at all. We read in Ephesians that in him the whole building is joined together and becomes a holy temple to the Lord. You're a holy temple. Yeah, we fail a bit. The old mortar cracks a little bit. And the bell is somewhat a bit discordant. But that's how God views us and intends us to be together. In the scriptures, the church is described as the bride of Christ. So, God's not given up on the church, even though you're joining an institution which basically, visibly, and particularly in the West, has some way to go to restore a picture of a healthy, self-giving, God-filled community. So the minister said to me, as I said, turn up on church on Sunday and see you at Bible study on Wednesday, and I think I did, yeah. But my final point this morning is that we mustn't see our membership of the Church of Christ, whether it begins today formally or it began 50, 60 years ago. We mustn't see that membership as about turning up on Sunday and turning up on Wednesday or Thursday to the Bible study. It's not, please do not mishear me, that I say those things don't matter. I want to see you here Sunday by Sunday, 
and more and more of us need to be members of midweek fellowship groups and learning the scriptures and being about prayer. Yes, we do. But that's not what the sum total of your membership of Christ Church is about. It's not joining and being about the activities of the religious club called Methodist Christians. It's about transforming the world. It's about being Christ's seven days a week, 24 hours a day, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're called to. That's where your membership of Christ's church is played out. As the old preacher said, it's the coal that falls out of the fire that goes cold quickest. So let's take being in worship and gathering together for strength and depth and fellowship and discipleship. But it's more than Sundays. Look at the picture Luke offers us in the early Christian church that Bridget read for us from Acts. It's whole life discipleship. It's not turned in on itself, it's turned out to the world in which those early Christian disciples live. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, so there's discipleship. They're breaking bread, so therefore there's worship. There's signs and wonders done, therefore there are spiritual ministries. They are selling their goods and giving them to the poor, and therefore there's practical shared service. And every day God adds to their number those who are being saved. There's clearly evangelism. To be a member is to be a disciple of Christ, a member of Christ. And automatically one who then belongs to Christ's church. As John Wesley said to his early disciples, God knows no solitary religion. And then the belonging to Christ church is to be the servant of God individually and corporately, the I and the we, together seeking to transform the world for good and inviting you and I to be a part of that. Today we're going to have the privilege of witnessing some friends among us saying yes for the first time and yes for the hundred and first time to the question, I want to be Christ's. And I know I'm member of Christ Church, and I want my membership to guide my life and transform the world. As we witness them do that, let's pray for them, and let's reiterate our own renewed vows as they make theirs, looking to God for all things. Amen.